Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Sports Bar Navy Yard is hiring. Experienced servers and hosts should email brett at waltersdc.com. That's B-R-E-T-T at waltersdc.com for more information or stop by and fill out an application any day after 10 a.m. Come join one of the busiest restaurants around the ballpark for this summer or beyond. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swing and a line shot up the middle. A base hit into center field. In from third is Soto to score, and the ball is booted by Duvall. He can throw well. He's up with it. Franco trying for second, and he'll make it. It's the Nationals two and the Braves nothing. Bray sets. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Breaking ball off the plate away. Got him to chase one, and JoJo Gray with his fifth strikeout gets out of the inning. Rainey has the sign come set. Looks over the shoulder. The runner and the pitch. Swing and a ground ball toward the middle. Hernandez has it. He'll go to the bag himself. He'll fire to first. It's a double play. The game is over. And a curly W's in the books. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, April 14th, 2022, along with Mass and Sports Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is in Atlanta. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. A terrific win for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon. Hump day was a good day for the Nats. A 3-1 win at the Atlanta Braves to win the series two games to one. Josiah Gray tossed five scoreless innings. Sean Doolittle, Steve Ciszek, and Tanner Rainey, very good out of the bullpen. You know, offense wasn't great, but offense was good enough. And the Nats now are three and four on the season. So this idea of them getting smashed over their first seven games of the season and facing the New York Mets and the Braves, that idea, now bye-bye. And the Nats are three and one since their 0-3 start to the season. Not too shabby, Mark. No, and I think, honestly, if you at the start of this said, hey, you're going to go 3-4 and four against the Mets and Braves, I think everyone would take that, right? And it, it's not even just the 3-4, and four, it's how they did it. You can see a clear formula here being established for how they can win games. I think we were worried for a while that their best hope to win games was going to be like 7-6, to six, out slugging another team and maybe some back-and-forth stuff late in games. And no, what we've actually seen in two out of these three games here is if they get a good quality start from their starter, and, and I mean that in terms of not the official designation of a quality start, because right now five innings is good enough, but that works, that's quality, and you have a fresh bullpen, you can win a lot of games this way. This was the formula exactly to a T. Josiah Gray for five, and then your A bullpen, Finnegan, Doolittle, Ciszek, and Rainey, 
closing it out against a very good Atlanta lineup. Now, over time, they may wear down and maybe this doesn't always work all the time. But I like that formula that they've shown here in their victories. That's a good winning formula that you would think might just be sustainable from time to time. Yeah, I mean, the bullpen, after a frightening start to the season in terms of usage and in terms of what could be coming, has been good now in three of the last four games. And for all of the fears I think we all had of, like you said, you know, games late becoming these, you know, seesaw battles back and forth, we really haven't had much of that. You know, like what a game has been more or less is what a game has ended up being. In fact, if any team has mounted a comeback, it's an ads like that first win they had, right, with the uh, the three runs there in the bottom of the eighth inning against the Mets. So yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. Seven games into the 162. We do not determine conclusions from that. But three and four against these two tough teams to begin the season. I think it's nice to be able to say here that the Nats have done this. And again, three wins over the last four games. Well, nothing was nicer on Wednesday afternoon than Josiah Gray. Off what happened with Patrick Corbin on Tuesday night, off what happened with Josiah in his first start of the season. He goes out there on Wednesday afternoon, and he outpitched Max Freed. I mean, I don't think there's any debating that. Freed ended up allowing three runs, two earned in five and a third innings. Josiah Gray, five scoreless innings. He had five strikeouts. He allowed just one hit, which was a single. Did issue three walks and a hit by pitch. He threw 82 pitches, 50 strikes versus 32 balls. But he had the curveball working, especially early in the outing. And he later in the outing did a nice job of navigating His way out of some trouble. Bottom of the fourth inning, he tosses a scoreless inning despite issuing a 10-pitch leadoff walk of Ozzy Albies. And then later in the inning, issuing a two-out five-pitch walk of Austin Riley. Then Gray tosses scoreless bottom of the fifth despite issuing a one-out hit-by-pitch of Adam Duvall and a two-out five-pitch walk of Alex Dickerson. So he was able to get out of the way in terms of giving up stuff in the latter portion of his outing. Looked rather sharp early in the outing. And five scoreless innings, you know, that's a nice thing to be able to say here. It's not the standard ultimately, but given, you know, where we are with Nats pitching and, you know, given how Gray did struggle in his initial start of this season, really nice to see Josiah Gray do as he did on Wednesday. Yeah, for mid-April, I think this is exactly what you're hoping for. Like I said, against a very good lineup. What I liked was that first time through the lineup, very efficient. Gets nine outs on 45 pitches, faces the minimum. And then, you know, he does run into trouble. In the fourth and the fifth, he puts two runners on each of those innings. The command starting to falter a little bit, but he got the outs he needed to. He got a big double play out of Matt Olson in the fourth, and then he struck out Manny Pena to end the fifth. And when we've seen Josiah struggle at times in the time that he's been up here, especially late in a start, and we've seen some innings kind of him lose control of those innings, and they spiral downward and, you know, what could be a one-run inning turns into a three- or four-run inning. And so twice here in this start, as it's moving on, as he's facing a lineup a second time, he is able to get the outs and get out of the innings without any damage. I think that's a great learning experience for him. And honestly, and Davey Martinez said the same thing, come June, come July, you're going to see him be allowed to go a little deeper, maybe face a lineup a third time, go through six innings. Right now, That's not going to happen in April, but he did a good job for what they needed from him today, and then they turned it over to the bullpen. Yeah, you know, one of the cool things about watching a young pitcher grow and develop with a team is you get to know that pitcher. And I think one thing that's becoming pretty clear about Josiah Gray is that he is a strikeout pitcher. Like sort of the industry standard now is can you average a strikeout per inning? And Josiah Gray has done that. Last season, 62 and two-thirds innings with the Nats, he had 63 strikeouts, and now So far this season, over nine innings, he has 10 strikeouts. He on Wednesday afternoon had five strikeouts 
in the five scoreless innings. You know, if you can do that, if you can be a guy who can average a strikeout per inning, I think there's real value in that because you're not, you know, overly reliant on batted balls being converted into outs. You're a guy who can have swing and miss stuff. You know, you have people on base. You can get batters out as opposed to balls being put into play. So it's been nice to see that with Josiah Gray. And hopefully it's something that keeps going. The other thing that I think is kind of interesting here is that, so, you know, Josiah Gray was up and down with the Nats last season, but during his uptimes, he had multiple impressive outings against the Braves. Last August 7th, a 3-2 win at the Braves. Josiah Gray, two runs, one earned in five innings, 10 strikeouts. Then last August 13th, a 4-2 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park, three runs in six innings, but also six strikeouts versus no walks. We mentioned in the last installment of the podcast that the Braves right now seem to be a rather bad matchup for Patrick Corbin. Maybe for whatever reason, the Braves are a good matchup for Josiah Gray. Yeah, and I think this is a big thing to pay attention to here because, like you said, he had success last year. A lot of these guys have now seen him. They know the book on him. And if he can continue to have success against that lineup, he said it himself, it's a confidence booster to know, okay, my stuff plays well against good hitters and hitters who aren't seeing me for the first time. That bodes very well long-term because he's going to face these guys a lot this year and beyond if everything works out the way the Nationals would hope. And with the strikeouts, the other thing I like is we know his curveball Sometimes his slider, because he throws them both, are sort of out pitches. He got at least a few of the strikeouts today on his fastball, which was at 94 miles an hour. So that's good that he's not falling into patterns where with two strikes, the hitter knows it's going to be a breaking ball. Maybe they sit on that. He's able to maybe surprise them some with fastballs for strike three. It's a maturation. we got to remember, he's a young guy. He's still learning. He really didn't have a whole lot of minor league experience before coming up. But I like the progression that we're seeing here. And like I said, against a good lineup that already knows him to have that success, I think that bodes really well for the future. Yeah. I mean, what you want right now with a guy like Gray is you want to have legitimate reason for hope. And he's given us that, you know, you're getting enough good going back to last season to where if you believe you have reason to believe, you know, you don't feel like a fool for believing. And an outing like the one on Wednesday afternoon is further reason to believe, you know, to say, hey, there is something to this guy. We obviously need to see more. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. Two outs, last the seventh, Doolittle to the plate, 
And a swing and a ground ball into the shift. A roll it right to Escobar at short. He's got it. He throws, and it's on target for the out. So Doolittle throws six pitches to retire the side in order. So we mentioned the bullpen. Bullpen was good for the Nats for a third time in four games. Four relievers combined to allow just one run in four innings. Kyle Finnegan in the bottom of the six gave up a two-out solo homer to Austin Riley. But then after that, boy, you talk about efficiency. Sean Doolittle, a perfect bottom of the seventh on just six pitches. Steve Ciszek, a perfect bottom of the eighth on just six pitches. And then Tanner Rainey, a scoreless bottom of the ninth to improve to two for two on saves this season. We often reference the times of games. This game, two hours, 57 minutes. I believe this is the first Nats game this season to be played in under three hours, but the work of Doolittle and Ciszek had a lot to do with that. Hard to be more efficient than those two ended up being. Six outs on 12 pitches. That is fantastic. And that even included, you know, Doolittle took the mound for the bottom of the eighth warmed up. Then the Braves sent their pinch hitter to the plate and Davey came out and made the pitching change. So there really were two warmups there and that still didn't slow down the momentum. That was great. And a nice strategy by Davey to be prepared for that scenario. You had a lefty Dickerson who was supposed to lead off the inning. So you put Doolittle on the mound, but you tell Ciszek, be ready. If they send up one of their right-handed pinch hitters, we're going straight to you. And he was ready for that. They were fully prepared and it worked out great. I got to tell you, Sean Doolittle looks like peak 2019, early 2019, Sean Doolittle. That is a great sign if he is doing that. We need to see how he holds up when he's pitching more. But the nice thing is, is that he's not the only one they trust. (laughs) They've got four guys, it looks like at the moment, maybe more than that, who they can trust. And that's going to make a huge difference in the long run where you don't have to call on the same couple of guys every time you're in position to win a game. So I love that. I also loved what Rainey did in the ninth. So, I mean, he's facing the heart of their lineup, Olsen, Riley, Ozuna, game on the line, and he gets charged with a single against him by Riley. That wasn't a single. That was a routine grounder to short. Some little miscommunication on the infield where they're in the shift. I don't know why Escobar didn't just take the ball. Easy play for him moving in the right direction. Instead, he lets it go. Cesar Hernandez behind him would have to make a spectacular backhand play on it. Wasn't able to do it. Well, that could rattle you. As a closer, a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of experience, and now you're facing a really good hitter after him, now representing the tying run. And what did Rainey do? Immediately came right back out, got the double play grounder to end the game, didn't even give the Braves a chance to capitalize on that mistake. That's a sign of a good closer brushing off whatever happened behind him that wasn't his fault and just getting the job done. Yeah, that Hernandez-Escobar scenario, another one of these defensive miscommunications by the Nats here in this early portion of the season. It was odd, too, because Escobar could have dove for the baseball, and he didn't. He just kind of like jogged and let it go. I don't know if Hernandez called him off behind Escobar or what, but it looked kind of odd, but it ended up not coming back to bite the Nats. So, you know, Davey Martinez, I think, is going to be flexible with how he handles the later innings of games in which the Nats hold leads. That said, do you think this setup of Doolittle in the seventh, Ciszek in the eighth, Rainey in the ninth, that that might be Davies' ideal later innings bullpen plan? Or do you really think that right now it could end up being a number of things for Davey in terms of the bullpen? I think it could be anything. And I think it really is based on matchups. And I know you'll like to hear that. They want these guys come around the fifth inning, certainly by the sixth inning, to start getting mentally ready and look at where the opposing team is in their lineup and now start mapping it out. Okay, well, you know what? The lefties are, look like they're going to come up in the seventh. Doolittle, that's probably going to be 
your inning. But if they're further along, maybe they won't be till the eighth. Okay, Sean, you're going to have that. Maybe Ciszek, Finnegan could pitch before that. At least for now, I think they're definitely setting it up that way. Now, I think, you know, it looks like as long as the matchups are right, they like the idea of Rainey as the closer. He's got probably the best pure stuff of all of them. And so if it lines up right, I think you're going to see him most of the time set up to pitch the ninth. But again, if you can tell in advance, you know what, the other team's got lefties coming up in the ninth, I don't think Davey would hesitate to put Doolittle there, especially the way that he's looked here so far. So it's nice to have those options. You got to be flexible. I think all the people here involved don't have egos. They aren't worried about any of that stuff. C-Sheck said, he, you know, he's been around the block. He's done everything in his career. He says, hey, if they need me in the fifth one night, I'll do it. If they need me in the eighth or the ninth the next night, I'll do that. It takes buy-in from everyone. But so far, I think you can see how they're trying to put everyone in the most favorable positions to be successful and not necessarily being rigid and saying, here's our seventh inning guy. Here's our eighth inning guy. Here's our ninth inning guy. Yeah. And as we discussed, Tyler Clippard could be coming. So a bullpen, which has been a strength lately, could be getting even stronger in the coming days if Clippard ends up joining the team. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and Make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. That's two years. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. As you likely know, natural gas prices continue to rise. Does your energy bill say that you're using more energy than similar homes? This is because you need new windows. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal and save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient window nation windows buy two windows get two windows free pay nothing for two years no money down no payments and no interest for two full years save thousands of dollars these are savings that you'll only see once this year take advantage of Window Nation special offer. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. First pitch. Swinging a high fly ball right field. This is fairly deep. Rosario backpedaling just shy of the track. He will make the catch. Bell tagging at third. He'll come in to score as the throw is into second base. So a good at-bat for Lane Thomas. First pitch sack fly to right. The Nationals tack on the insurance run, leading 3 to nothing. And then with the Nats offense in this game, so look, the results with the offense weren't great, but they obviously were good enough to win. Nats totaled just three runs, seven hits, no walks. Uh, the seven hits were a double and six singles, but a few positives stood out. Michael Franco has all of a sudden erupted here. What a series he ended up having in this uh, Nats Victoria series at the Braves. So Franco on Wednesday afternoon was up to being the Nats number five batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. He and the Nats two run first, had a two out first pitch, RBI single to center field. He and the Nats one run six, had a one out opposite field single to right field. Michael Franco in this series off having a rough season opening series against the Mets, eight for 13 with a home run, two doubles, five singles, and seven RBI. And then Josh Bell on Wednesday afternoon, another good game for him. Two for four with a double, a single, and an RBI ground out. You know, Josh Bell has a seven-game hitting streak to begin this season. He's the only Nationals player with a hit in every Nats game so far this season. And Bell now on the season, nine for 26, two homers, and three walks. So the oh-so-slow start for Josh Bell last season, a distant memory at this point with what he did the rest of last season and what he's doing so far this season. So, you know, you're three and four, and we still haven't seen the best, say, of a Nelson Cruz. I don't think we've seen the best of even like a Juan Soto, but you got guys like Franco and Bell doing quite well so far this season. Yeah, and so let's remember Josh Bell a year ago. He looked great in spring training. He hit a home run at Port St. Lucie that I think that cleared the scoreboard left center field. And remember, it was the whole Bell and Zimmerman were on fire. And it's like, hey, look at this first base combo they're going to have. And then on the flight home, he gets COVID and he has to miss the first week of the season. And then it took him six weeks to find a swing again. It wasn't until mid-May that he started to get it. So to see him start like this is both encouraging and not necessarily all that surprising. I know we focused on the bad start to last year, but that may have been some extenuating circumstances certainly out of his control. We do know historically he's a streaky hitter, so he's probably going to go through a slump at some point. But I think also at this point we know he's got a body of work over several years now where you have a pretty good idea what kind of a hitter he is. And he is... You know, in his second year here, he feels, I think, confident and comfortable. You're seeing him be a a vocal player in the clubhouse. You're seeing him play much better than advertised defense at first base. He wants to play every day. I certainly don't think he feels like he's, you know, standing in Zimmerman's shadow anymore, anything like that. He's in a really good place right now, and it does raise the question as we move further along in this season of does he want to stay here long term and do the Nats want to try to keep him long term? Yeah, it's an interesting contractual situation because he doesn't figure to cost a ton of money, but he's also not the kind of player these days who you're trying to necessarily build around. But, you know, if it's not going to cost you a ton, then I don't think it's the worst idea in the world to try to sign Josh Bell to a multi-year extension, but he definitely is locked in to begin this season. So it's been nice seeing that. I want to get your take on Cesar Hernandez. So 
you know, he has not been great as a leadoff batter. He only has one walk, but he has started to pick up some hits. He very interestingly in this series began every game with a single, which is what a leadoff man is supposed to do. He had two more singles on Wednesday afternoon in the Nats two run first. He had a leadoff single up the middle of Brave starter Max Freed on an 0-2 pitch. He in the top of the fifth had a two-out full count single through the left side of the infield. I mean, you know, eventually you do want to see him get some extra base hits and you do want to see him draw some walks, but I think it's been interesting to see him get these hits here lately, begin each of the three games at the Braves with a hit. What's jumping out to you when it comes to Cesar Hernandez, the batter so far? You know, I think he's doing what he needs to do. Is it a complete picture yet? No. Is it really everything you do want to see from a leadoff hitter? No, because like you said, Ultimately, you want some walks, and he's not doing that. But for the most part, he's putting the bat on the ball. Like you said, first inning, that's a great thing to do. And being aggressive, it was at least one of these games. It might have been back-to-back days. Yeah, first pitch on Monday and Tuesday that he singled. It was a couple pitches in on Wednesday. And you don't necessarily normally think of that as a leadoff hitter's mindset. Oh, you got to work the count, let everybody else see what he's got. But they very much across the board in this series, there was – a message sent to the hitters to say, be aggressive early. The best pitch you might see in a bat is a fastball that's either the first pitch or the second pitch of an at-bat. You don't have to work the count. If you see something good, swing at it. If it's not good, take it and work your way through the hole at-bat. And you saw an aggressive approach, particularly against Max Freed, and Cesar was at the top of that list of doing that. So I think he's doing fine. I don't know that I'm going to say here seven games in, clearly he makes the most sense. He's going to be their best choice as a leadoff hitter. But for now, he's doing enough to make it worthwhile sticking with it. And honestly, the other guys, Lane Thomas, hasn't been great so far. So it's not like there's an obvious alternative at the moment. So stick with it until uh, something better comes along. Well, two guys who do continue to struggle for the Nats are Victor Robles and Alcides Escobar. Victor was the Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter on Wednesday afternoon, but another over, over three. So Victor Robles on the season is 0 for 15 with no walks and an RBI hit by pitch. So he at least does have that. And then Alcides Escobar. Boy, this is surprising. I mean, I guess maybe our expectations for Alcides were elevated off his stunning production last season. But geez, he's not doing much of anything right now. Wednesday afternoon, he was an ads number seven batter starting shortstop. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He now this season is a mere 1 for 19 with a single, no walks, and nine strikeouts. He has struck out nine times so far this season, you know, I guess with Robles, we're at a point at which nobody is stunned that he's over to begin the season. I think with Escobar, as odd as it may sound, it is surprising. And we all just kind of assumed, well, yeah, I guess I'll see these Escobars and that starting shortstop this season. You know, with a guy like Lucius Fox on board and maybe some other options, I don't think the Nats certainly should be committed to Alcides Escobar. Do you think that he could be playing his way out of being the Nats everyday shortstop? It could happen here at some point. I don't think we're there yet. And Lucius, as great as that game was against the Mets, he got a chance to start on Tuesday and didn't look so great, both at the plate and in the field. So I don't know that they're there quite yet. But whenever A. Ray Adrianza comes back, that is going to be something to look at. And certainly Luis Garcia, as he gets more work at AAA, at some point they may want to consider bringing him back. Although I know he's struggled in the field so far, so that's not a great sign for him. The concerning thing to me about Escobar is what you just said, the strikeouts, nine of them already. That's not who he is. I mean, his greatest tool last year was the ability to put the bat on the ball to hit those garbage pitches off the plate and still poke them down the right field line for hits, things like that. And he is not doing that at all. 
I don't know the reason for this. I don't know what exactly is going on. He also, like we said earlier, had that kind of shaky thing in the ninth inning in the field where he didn't go after that ball that seemed to be headed right for him. So very disappointing start for him. At the moment, I don't necessarily see a regular alternative. Maybe when Adrianza comes back, maybe as Garcia gets a little more under his belt. But it does remind you that you know, this was the first move they made in the offseason. They re-signed Alcides like right after the season ended. And the thought of the time was, well, that doesn't necessarily mean he's the starting shortstop. You know, for a million dollars, he could be the utility guy, help out, guide some of the younger players. And then all of a sudden we realized, no, he actually is the starting shortstop, everyday shortstop without a real firm backup plan there. So I'll be curious to see how that plays out. For now, it's certainly his job, but I don't think that anybody should just assume that's his for the whole season, he is going to have to earn that playing time at some point here. Yeah. And especially when you look at the bigger picture, right? I mean, this is his age 35 season. You're not trying to develop or groom Alcides Escobar. He's here to tread water for you while you wait on a Luis Garcia or someone else to emerge. So, you know, to keep at it with Escobar, like what's the point? I mean, I think it's always important to remember who he was when the Nats got him last year. He had not played in a major league game since 2018. He that season had a negative war of 2.2 for the Royals in that 2018 season. He ended up being, like we said, stunningly productive for the Nats last season. But, you know, you see this in sports sometimes when a guy who has no business doing well does well. And then the next go around, the guy sort of like wakes up from the dream and the carriage has turned back into a pumpkin. And you're like, oh, that's why he was available. And oh, you know, this is why he was where he was in his career. So, you know, you got a whole lot more out of Alcides Escobar last season than you had any reason to anticipate. Sometimes you just got to get out while they're getting still good. And instead to go back to him for this season, you know, it's hindsight now at this point. And maybe he turns it around. I mean, we're seven games into the season, but I don't think anybody should be stunned if this just ends up being a bad season for Alcides Escobar. No, and you do see this. We've seen it over the years with other guys, too. You have someone whose career is kind of on the brink, and they get a shot, and they make the most of it, and they look pretty good out there. And then they say, well, hey, let's bring him back for another season. And it's not being done intentionally, certainly, but you wonder subconsciously, there's something to be said for playing for your life, you know, playing for your career. Like if it didn't work out for Alcides when he got that chance last year, that might have been the last chance he ever got with a big league club. It worked out. They immediately signed him to another contract. And it's only natural to feel a little bit of, uh, you lose that edge. You don't necessarily feel like you have to prove yourself again. You're maybe not playing for your life anymore. I've seen it with other guys, like we said. And so I'm not terribly surprised. You hope he can get it back together here and be a productive player for them. Even if he's not the long-term answer, for now he is their starting shortstop. He did a nice job for them last year. You'd like for him to have some success. He wouldn't be the first guy to fall into that trap that we've seen before, nor the first player that a team falls into that trap of bringing them back after one nice bounce back season, thinking maybe that this is who they're always going to be, when in fact, you know, that was the outlier season. Yeah. I mean, I really would like to see Luis Garcia back at the major league level and playing for the Nats. Now he's got to earn it. Okay. But once he earns it, the Alcides Escobar thing is basically a road to nowhere. So I'd like to see Luis back up sooner rather than later, assuming that his play warrants that. I mean, I don't think they should just gift him, you know, the everyday starting shortstop job or anything like that. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from Ryan from Arlington of the Patrick Corbin struggles on Tuesday night, writes Ryan, in light of Corbin getting his usual responses after a bad outing, has Jim Hickey provided any more insight into what he's working on with Corbin? Thanks as always, and go Nats. Yeah, so 
I know you talk to Davey often. I know Mike Rizzo speaks every so often. Does Jim Hickey ever speak to you guys or not really? Um, you know, he's kind of available if you can track him down. He's a busy man. <laughs> Pitching coaches and hitting coaches very often are hard to track down because they're always working with somebody at any point in time. So it can be a little bit tricky. The thing with Corbin, I think we've brought this up before, is is there a big fix to be done there? Or is it a do what you did in the past that worked? You just need to perfect that and get back to that. And it feels like they're more focused on that than trying to reinvent him. They were modestly hopeful coming out of spring training and feeling like they were starting to see better stuff from him based on a few starts at the end of last season as well, where he did have success the last like three or four starts. And they felt like what he was doing in spring training was better, keeping the ball down the zone, commanding the fastball, and then playing the slider off it. Obviously, the other night was nothing like that and looked very much reminiscent of what we saw last year and the year before. And, you know, it does make you wonder, does he have the ability to adjust or not? And listening to Patrick talk about it, he seems at a loss. It feels like they are just saying, we know the pitcher you are. We know the pitcher you've been in the past to be successful. We need to find that again, not, hey, let's try something different. Let's turn you into a different pitcher than you've been because you need to. Now, eventually, if this clearly isn't working, I don't know how you don't try to do that. The issue is, does Patrick Corbin have that in him? Does he have another path to success? Or was this really the only way all along he could be successful? That's very concerning if that's true. I think what's tough, too, is you look at this series win for the Nats at the Braves. Josh Rogers in game one, one run in five and a third innings. Josiah Gray in game three, five scoreless innings. It's only Patrick Corbin in game two who struggled, and he didn't just struggle. He got wrecked six runs in two and two-thirds innings. I think everyone respects the Braves lineup, but this is a Braves lineup against which the likes of Josh Rogers and Josiah Gray did well. So if they can do well... Why can't Patrick Corbin do well? And again, it's not just that he didn't do well. It's that he got rocked to the extent that he got rocked. I think that's what's aggravating if you're a Nats fan. You're like, how come he can't do as Josh Rogers did in game one of the series? Yeah. And like we said the other night, we're not there yet, but there may come a time not too far off where you look at this and say they clearly have five better options for their rotation than Patrick Corbin. And then it's a matter of, is he in the rotation because he deserves to be, or is he in the rotation because of his contract? And that's never a position any team wants to find itself in. No, and that's really, honestly, the worst reason to keep someone around or in a position of prominence, the contract. The contract's a sunk cost, okay? You're paying that whether he's great or awful. So you got to do what's best for the team, not what you know makes you feel best in terms of an investment. So we shall see with Patrick Corbin. You tell us what you think. You could tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You know, last season we had some fun with some like evergreen questions that we threw out there. So we have another one that we want to throw out there to you. Your memories of your first baseball game that you attended. So your first game, presumably major league game, that you attended, presumably as a kid, although maybe not. But let us know. Those stories can be a lot of fun to get into and share. So you can send us those stories, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, you can also send us stories via voice memo. So you can speak into your phone, record what you say, and then email that file to us. Again, 
natschatpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sponsor the podcast, you can email Tim Shovers at that address, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Our new Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt is out. It is red. It is fantastic. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Cesar Hernandez comes up with the play after the confusion on the previous ground ball. He gets the double play, 4-3, to three, and the Nationals out of the dugout to celebrate a victory and a series win in Atlanta. The final score, the Washington Nationals 3 and the Atlanta Braves 1. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.